You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 844 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday into Wednesday, and today's show will be a mailbag that I am doing solo, but if you missed it earlier in the week, we had Fred Katz of The Athletic DC on the podcast talking about the Washington Wizards, and specifically Davis Bertans, a high-profile free agent target potentially for the Hawks, and that was a fun conversation. Fred's always good. That was a good one. Also, earlier in the last couple of weeks, we had uh, similar uh, shows with Adam Morris covering the Nuggets with regard to Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap. We had Greg Wissinger on the podcast talking about a couple of the Kings guys, Buddy Heal, Bogdan Bogdanovich, as well as all kinds of NBA draft content over the last several months on this podcast. If you're new, if you're a new listener, welcome, but there's a ton you can go back and listen to if you want to go ahead and catch up and get well-versed on the draft. Plus, we'll have much, much more. We are now four weeks from the NBA draft as I record this. And uh, that's a lot of fun to consider that we're finally going to be out of this endless cycle. So there is all of that. Okay, let's dig into the, let's get, dig into the mailbag first. And the first question comes from Julian. And he asks, Chris Kirster had a trade rumor in a writer mock draft at The Athletic, and I'm wondering if you saw it and what you think about it. It had the Hawks trading up with Chicago to get the fourth pick in the draft. Um, first... I would definitely not use the word trade rumor associated with that. It was a mock draft discussion. It was uh, not being reported by any way, by anyone, including Chris. So I wanted to go ahead and address that part of the question first, not picking on Julian, but that's just something I always want to stress. Not a rumor in any way, shape, or form at this point in time. Um, for those of you that did not see this, Chris Kirschner is, of course, uh, the writer at The Athletic for the Hawks, and he was part of an, an athletic mock draft as the Hawks. As part of that write-up, he mentioned that, the, that he offered the Bulls a trade package, as part of that proceeding, it was declined by the Bulls in that in that mock draft. But it's a pretty interesting trade that, that I will uh, thought was interesting anyway, and then I was asked about it actually a bunch of times. But I picked out Julian's question specifically. Um, again, not reporting anything. A mock draft, and I know Chris; he's not being it's not being silly here. Just a mock draft, and I, I know how it is to be in part of those. And I will talk about the ones that I'm in over the next few weeks, as there'll be multiple. I think that I will I'll be participating in in a lot of uh, ways in the next few weeks. Okay. With with that out of the way, the mock the mock draft slash trade proposal, fake trade, all that stuff is the following: number six and number fifty from the Hawks, as well as the Oklahoma City Lottery protected 2022 pick, which is a first rounder, um, and Dwayne Dedman to Chicago for Thomas Sadoransky and more importantly the number four overall pick from the Bulls. By the way, I will say this at the top: this is a very good effort as far as fake trades go. I, I am always someone that says how hard fake trades are to construct and I'll give my take on it in a second but that was a good it was a good one from Chris an interesting one and it's pretty fair in my opinion um, and we'll get into that as a result of uh, sort of all the machinations that we'll go through here so basically the Hawks will be going up two spots in the draft turning Deadman into Sadoransky and then giving up of course the future OKC pick and the second round pick this year in order to make those swaps as a reminder here the Thunder pick if it does not convey which means the Thunder if they make the playoffs the pick conveys, and that's and that's for the following season, the 2022 season. If the Thunder make the playoffs, the Hawks get their first-round pick, and that's the end of the trade. If the Thunder miss the playoffs, which is probably more likely than not at this point in time, um, that pick becomes second-rounders in 2024 and 2025. So it is the only extra first-round pick the Hawks have right now coming to them, 
and it's not necessarily a full one first because it might might turn in seconds, but still, it's still a, a pretty interesting asset and really their only extra pick in the future. So, obviously, going up from six to four would require a cost of some sort. I am on record multiple times now as not being a fan of trading up in this draft, specifically with the flat nature of it. But even then, going up two spots that high in the draft is always going to take some kind of maneuvering in, in the form of real compensation. You have to trade something significant to go up two spots. We saw last year what it took for the Hawks to go up four spots in the uh, in the lottery. It, meant it wouldn't be that much, I wouldn't think, but still, um, you know, going up at, at all in the lottery always takes some real compensation. So I'll say this, say this at the top here. I would not trade 650 and the OKC pick for number four in a vacuum. So keep that in mind. Just the picks, just the picks only in this deal, I would not trade that. It is not unreasonable, though, to do that kind of deal. Um, there are definitely some years and some drafts in which I um, would say it, it makes sense to do that swap. But, um, or maybe if like Anthony Edwards fell to that point in time, but it's, it's a nice situation where I think there's a huge gap between four and six in this class, basically. And I wouldn't use an extra asset and a half, basically, to go up two spots in this draft. I think I also probably probably value the, the OKC pick, pick a little bit more than others do, even acknowledging that, again, I mean, it may not be a first long-term, but still two seconds is not nothing. That's pretty uh, pretty decently valuable along the way. And again, the gap between four and six for me is not huge in this class. But the rest of the deal, as presented by Chris, is what swings it from a no to something better for the Hawks pretty clearly here. Sadoransky is owed $10 million for this for the upcoming season, and then his contract is actually for $10 million again in 21-22, but only half of that deal is guaranteed. That is worth pointing out to be sure. I won't go insanely deep on Sadoransky at this point in time, but I do think he's very clearly a value add for the Hawks when compared to Deadman, especially given the Hawks' roster situation right now. Sadoransky is 6'7". He can handle the ball, play both backcourt spots, guard a little bit defensively, would be the Hawks' backup point guard, and also someone who could play with Trey Young, which is the archetype that I uh, have been in favor of the entire time. Uh, he's a pretty efficient scorer. He can pass it really well as well. I've always liked Sadoransky quite a bit. Not a star, probably not a starter necessarily, but a good, solid third guard. $10 million might be a little bit much for him, but given what the Hawks need on their roster and their situation... And in the mock draft proposal scenario, you're, you're also trading Deadman, getting off that money. And Sadoransky is a better player and a better value than Deadman. So that's a huge plus if you're sort of scoring that at home. So ultimately, ultimately on Atlanta's side, I think it's a pretty solid deal overall. I think it favors the Hawks, even if I don't think it's a, an absolute slam dunk, because I'm much lower on the value gap between four and six in this draft than most people are. And that's really what you're paying for in the deal more than anything else. So at, naturally, because I don't... I don't really care that much about that, about that gap. I'm going to value the deal a little bit differently than others, but still. Um, for the record, though, the deal is much worse for Chicago. And the write-up, again, it was clear the Bulls said no, not the Hawks in that scenario. And that's the right decision if you're the Bulls, in my opinion. The Bulls don't need Deadman more than anything, at least to justify taking on his money. I mean, he's still overpaid. I, I think he's a useful player and a good locker room guy, but he's overpaid on that deal. And I think they probably don't want to slide down on the draft just for the privilege of the OKC pick alone, especially when you're talking about going from Sato to Deadman. They don't necessarily need Sadoransky long-term because they have Kobe White, etc., but uh, still still not a guy they should be giving away necessarily. I'll say this as a final thought in this deal. The Hawks could take Sadoransky without sending Deadman back in the deal. And that's actually where I think the pivot point is on this trade. You know, because the Hawks are so far under the cap, they don't have to match salary in this deal. So um, in theory, you might want to match salary there, but you don't need to in the offseason and it would be nice, of course, for the Hawks to shed Deadman's money there. But the Hawks did add Deadman after acquiring Capella, knowing exactly what he was making and the role that he would be in. So they're not exactly in an urgent spot on paper to try to trade him. 
Um, but you don't need um, all that said. You, you don't need a salary match on Deadman here to make the deal work. So I think the closest way for this to be palatable on both sides actually is probably to take Deadman out of the deal and leave the rest of it in place. If you did that, the deal is slightly worse for the Hawks, of course, because you don't get off Deadman's money. But it's also better for Chicago. I might bridge the gap a little bit. But anyway, not a rumor at all. It's a fun fake trade, though. So shouts to Chris and The Athletic for the content there. And thanks to Julian for the question. Hopefully that all makes sense. Um, okay, without further delay, we will get into the rest of the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. Chain stores often have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are always the same for everyone, and they're always reliably low. Instead of changing prices based on the, what the market might dictate, rockauto.com simply presents the lowest price as possible. No matter what kind of car or truck you might have, Rock Auto has everything you need, just a few easy clicks, and they'll have it delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is also easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. Rockauto.com is for everyone. It does not require a membership or an account login of any kind. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at Built Go. Whether it's a mental wall or a physical wall, you can break through it every day with Go. Built Go is a healthy replacement for your energy drink, but the energy is anything but fake. Instead, it's both lasting and natural. Built Go is easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it in your briefcase, your golf bag, or your pockets to get through whatever you're facing today. Built Go is essentially a five-hour energy without the same feeling of a crash, plus it's natural and it's better for the body as a result. There are three awesome flavors to choose from with peanut butter honey, chocolate mint, and chocolate coconut, and Built Go is loaded with good stuff to ignite your work. Listeners to the show will know that I have multiple jobs, and sometimes I need something else, something extra, I will say, to uh, get through the day and the night, but Built Go is a fantastic solution to breaking through my own wall, and I recommend it fully. In order to try it for yourself, visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED to get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right, we'll dive back into the mailbag now. And the next question comes from Adul via our email address, which is, by the way, at LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. And the question from Abdul is the following. Why haven't we heard any speculation about interest in Serge Ibaka for the Hawks? Atlanta needs a backup four slash backup small ball five. And Ibaka is a great veteran presence with championship experience. His ability and willingness to stretch the floor also fits the team really well. Um, so as always, thank you, thank you for the question. I'll say this first. Um, Serge Ibaka is a good, useful player. He would absolutely help the Hawks if they had him on the roster. Um, with that said, I don't, think it's, I don't think it makes a ton of sense for either the player or the team in this case. Abaka just turned 31 years old. He can definitely still play, but he's definitely more of a role player now than he used to be, which does make some sense in Atlanta, but um, the Raptors are, I would say, incentivized to try to bring him back, especially with Marcus Gasol potentially leaving um, to retirement or an exit of, of other kind, and they have his bird right. So getting into a bidding war there as the Hawks wouldn't be ideal by any means. Abaka is really valuable to Toronto, and honestly... Um, with that said, I don't, really, I don't really see Ibaka leaving a situation on, on a good team in Toronto without getting overpaid somewhere else, especially if somewhere else is Atlanta with a uh, a role that is not significantly huge for him to uh, sort of slide into. It might be different if the Hawks hadn't trade, traded for Capella in, in February because Ibaka and John Collins would be pretty interesting, I think. And if there was a, if, if, there, if there was still that gaping hole at center, he would make a lot more sense, I think. 
in Atlanta, but the Hawks do have Capella now under contract for for the long haul, and Ibaka can play some five and some four for sure, but he's really more of a five at this point in his career with, with the way that he's lost some burst athletically. He can shoot it a little bit, but I'm not sure you want to play him with Capella by any means. And uh, with Capella playing 30 minutes a night, there just isn't that huge role for him, especially when you have already guys on the roster. You definitely should not make decisions based on Dwayne Dedman, for instance, but Dedman is already on the team making eight figures for this season. Abaka is better, to be sure, but um, you would likely have to pay him a lot, um, honestly, to justify him coming to Atlanta. I'm not sure what the uh, rationale behind that would be other than he would obviously help you, but it would probably be an overpay, especially to get him out of Toronto and other situations that are probably more geared to winning in the immediate. If for some reason the, the market just evaporated for Abaka, he could be signed for a discount, then doing that would be fine, honestly. But he's Better than Devin, clearly in the role that you would have to get uh, him into. But still, I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty, pretty surprised overall if the Hawks were to tab uh, Ibaka in, in any meaningful way, just because Ibaka can get a bigger role somewhere else for sure, and presumably more money as well. So the combination of role and contract, I just can't see him choosing Atlanta over the other options, even if the Hawks would certainly have him at a at a price that was more reasonable. But there you go on that. Hopefully that answers the question in this case. Okay. Uh, and I think this is going to be the last one that we do on today's podcast, but it comes from Chuck. Um, and the question is a broad one that's not only Hawks related, but you'll see where I'm going here. The question is, which Atlanta sports team is most likely to win the title between the Braves, Falcons, Hawks, and Atlanta United? So, thank you for the question, Chuck. Uh, I had a couple of versions of this question stored away, honestly, um, for mailbag purposes. But with the Braves losing in pretty maddening fashion on Sunday, it was a good time to answer this one. It's topical as a result. I will start here and just say that I don't mean this with any, any kind of malice whatsoever, but I truly don't have any idea about Atlanta United. Um, so I, I almost have to ignore them in this answer. That's not that's not, not, not me taking a shot at Atlanta United. I just don't have room in my brain for soccer. I'm not a soccer guy. Um, I, it was fun to root for them when they won the title a couple years ago, but I just don't have any analysis at all there. So I have to go off what other people say. So I'm better off just not uh, fooling with that one and not leaving that separately again not discounting their chances by any means of winning the title before the other teams I'm just not a big soccer guy so I don't really have anything to add on that so for now we'll set them aside I'll answer the other three and put them in in the order as follows I will say broadly speaking I would go Braves number one Hawks number two Falcons number three Um, because this is a Hawks podcast I will save their explanation to the end here and I'll start with the Braves um, for those of you that might know, just as a disclaimer, I do host a Braves podcast. Um, you can find that on my Twitter bio, etc. And I'm pretty keyed on them, so you can see uh, I, I'm dialed in a little bit there. Um, I think the Braves have the best combination of talent, youth, contract situation, and just you know overall quality of the roster right now of all the three teams. They're also the team that is the closest immediately, for sure, given the fact that they just made the baseball Final Four, essentially, in the NLCS, and they held a 3-1 lead in that series, so they're obviously pretty close to winning it at this moment. I won't go too deep into it, but their best players, with the exception of Marcelo Zuna, are under team control beyond this year. A ton of them are also super young and on team-friendly deals, especially Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies, Mike Soroka as well. Um, Baseball is a random sport in a lot of ways, so you can't assume anything there in terms of just like them always being back where they were this year. But the Braves are at least an objectively good team right now, and they're also in a great situation with their young guys, etc. So they are number one for a reason here. I think it's pretty clear in my mind, but we'll go on from there. As for the Falcons, it's a team that, of course, is you know was one half away from winning the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Um, but they are sort of in salary cap hell now with a pretty old roster and a team that is, by the way, as, as we record this, one in five this year. Um, it definitely helps to have a quarterback and a ton of offensive talent like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, etc. But the Falcons don't have the same future 
facing situation that other teams do. They're definitely more in win-now mode, and they're not winning in win-now mode, which is not where you want to be, obviously. I maybe have a different answer if they were a good team right now, but from you know prob- probability-wise, they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year at one and five, and then beyond that, they could rebuild at some point. They just clean they, they just clean house in the front office, one with the coaching staff, etc. So uh, the Falcons, I think, would be third on my list as a result of that. And then finally, you have the Hawks. Honestly, the Hawks probably have the most volatility of the three because they have not just they've not they've just not won with this core. Um, obviously, I'll be optimistic in a second with that, but that is worth noting that at this moment in time, the young core of the Hawks and this organizational structure from GM to, to head coach to the team has not won. So until they do that, you just can't assume it's going to happen. I think it will eventually, but just keep that in mind for now. The Hawks definitely have a bright future. No question about that. I've said that numerous times already on the podcast, but if you're a new listener, I firmly believe that the, uh, the, the trajectory is going up for this Hawks team. They have a player to build around, of course, in Trey Young, which is honestly the biggest single thing you can have in the NBA is a star to build around. The Hawks have that in Young. Also, they have a bunch of like youthful, talented guys on team-friendly deals. All the young core guys are uh, locked up for the next couple of years, with the with the exception of Collins, and even then he's restricted, so you can't get you can't really let him out the door necessarily unless they unless they actually want to. And then they have Capella as well on a team-friendly contract, and then another lottery pick. So a lot of talent there, of course. I also think that like they have a pretty competent management structure from Tony Ressler to Travis Schlenk, Steve Coonan, Lloyd Pierce, of course. I'm not telling you that we know that that that, that group is elite. When compared to NBA teams right now, it's just too early to decide that. But it's a far cry from the past when it was the uh, it was the ASG. It was kind of a disaster. It's not a negative to be sure. At the same time, the Braves have to be ahead of the Hawks. Um, that's unfortunate in some ways, but the core for the Braves has won. We've seen them win at a pretty high level already three years in a row now. This crew, this this crew with the Hawks have not won. Have really got even close to the playoffs so far, and I think that might change this next year. But at the moment. Talking about just winning the title next, I think you can't pick the Hawks over the Braves in that instance. It's not impossible by any means, but I think just the smart money would be on the Braves among those teams. Depending on what the Hawks might do the rest of this offseason, they could certainly be a favorite to make the playoffs next year. But even that is a long way from winning the title in a league that you know half the teams make the playoffs. Um, making the playoffs does not mean title contention by any means in the way that it might in other sports. So... Anyway, I think the Hawks have a strong foundation, quite obviously. They're set up for success in the long term. I think the Braves, though, are pretty clearly number one on this list when trying to estimate who wins the next title. And I have the Hawks edging out the Falcons. Those are a lot closer than either of them are to the Braves, I think, um, just because of the fact that the Falcons do have some top-tier talent on the roster, Julio, and that sort of core-ish that took them to the Super Bowl. But still, I would lean Hawks because of the of the potential, maybe even likelihood, that the Falcons blow it up in the near future, and the Hawks are on that upward trajectory, whereas the Falcons might be on their way down. So hopefully that answers the question. Again, I don't want to, I was not trying to dismiss Atlanta United. I just don't have any insight there whatsoever. So I'll focus on what I actually know something about and those other three teams. So finally, uh, to answer the question one more time, Braves, then Hawks, then Falcons. And uh, if that changes, there you go. Also, you know, people were asking about, um, there was another one of these that I had that was also included the college teams from Georgia Tech to Georgia. I just generally don't lump those in. I know that's sort of a controversial topic, but I don't, you know, I especially don't lump in UGA with Atlanta sports because they're not in Atlanta. I know there's a lot of crossover there, but um, there's a team. There are two Division One teams in Georgia, Georgia State, and Georgia Tech in Atlanta. So I have a hard time throwing Georgia in the mix, even though there's that huge crossover. So anyway, the question was professional on this one. So uh, yeah, one more time: Braves, Hawks, and then Falcons. Okay, thank you as always for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really, really appreciate it. Without um, further delay, here I will get off. But please subscribe. Please tell a friend, and I will see you next time.